Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today, I have a delightful conversation with one of the most beautiful people I know, Heather Jackson. In this episode, Heather describes her journey to the top of the world of triathlon and her options of sports along the way, just simply remarkable. Soccer, ice hockey, track cycling, and then finally, she went all in on triathlon. And Heather describes how she struggled with confidence, but now in her mid-30s, she's found a new coach in Ryan Bolton, she's building her weapons, and she's working the mental game. She has a great team around her with her training partners, her coach, and her incredibly supportive husband, Waddy. We have a good laugh about their tattoos and people's preconceptions about who they are. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this, this conversation. Now, before we go on, thank you all for sharing the show, um, for listening, and, and for supporting the show's sponsors. I mean, you really can't go wrong with Athletic Greens and Hyper Ice. Now, I really think you're going to enjoy this one, but remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. I want to give a huge shout out to Athletic Greens for supporting the show and for just being there every day for me. Athletic Greens is now very much a part of my daily routine. Just such a simple way to get a delicious blend of 75 superfoods, vitamins and minerals and probiotics and so much more. I really encourage you to invest in yourself. Invest in your own health for your performance optimization today and for your longevity. Sign up and have it delivered straight to your door. It's just so simple, tastes great and does what I really need for my health. I've also been doubling down on Athletic Greens Vitamin D. Just a huge proportion of the population are vitamin D deficient, myself included. And I focus heavily on getting out in the sun throughout the day, but when I can't, I religiously supplement with vitamin D. And right now, if you order, they'll give you a year's supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs. Athletic Greens is just so much more than a multivitamin and multimineral. It takes to the next level adding in a daily dose of superfoods, probiotics, greens blends, and so much more to support your gut health, your energy, your immunity, and stress. So please do yourself a favor and sign up. It also makes a great gift for a family member or a friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Now, you've probably heard me on many of the episodes discussing hyperice products with my guests, whether it's sitting in the Normatech compression boots, which I've been doing after solid workouts for, well, 10 plus years, or it's the Hypervolt percussion massage devices that I use daily to warm me up before going to the gym, or the vibrating massage roller, which I use before every run. All of the hyperice gear is just so easy to use and just keeps me going. My goal is to keep moving, keep physically fit for many, many years to come, and Using the Hyperize products are just helping me do just that. So simple, quick and easy to look after my body at home. And I've just started using the new Hypervolt Go. It's surprisingly powerful and whisper quiet and ultra lightweight at only one and a half pounds or 680 grams. And it's 30% smaller than the Hypervolt. The Go is ready to provide relief wherever you roam with three speed settings, two interchangeable headset attachments, 18-volt rechargeable lithium-ion battery, and like I said, lightweight, easy to use, one and a half pounds, 680 grams, and it's TSA approved for carry-on. So get 10% off at all Hyperice products using code GREG10 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com. That's H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com and use code GREG10 at checkout. 
All right, today's guest is one of the world's greatest Ironman champions with consistent podiums at both the 70.3 and the full Ironman World Championships. She's a current American Ironman record holder and she's won 12 Ironman 70.3s and five full Ironmans. She's a relentless hard worker, an aggressive racer, and is just a top contender every time she enters a race. Always smiling, one of the best people I know, but don't let that smile fool you. She's a smiling assassin. I'm a huge fan. I'm honored to have her on the show. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show. Heather Jackson, how are you? <laughs> oh my gosh, that was an amazing <laughs> intro. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I finally got you on the show because I've had your training partners, Paula Finley and Ben Hoffman on, and they both spoke about you on the show and they, everybody lights up when they talk about Heather Jackson. And then I had your coach, Ryan Bolton on the show, and he also just sang your praises and said you were the, the, the best training buddy and everything else. So I've, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while now, and now I have you. So thanks for joining me again. Yes, of course. Thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor. <laughs> no, of course. And I, I missed you in um, Daytona. Laura and I went up to to watch that race, but Laura said she did get to catch up with you briefly there, I don't know, before or after the race. Um, was that your yeah. only race in 2020? Or? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I was able to sneak in one uh, gravel race actually in October, which was also <laughs> kind of just like last minute. Um, but yeah, only two races in last year. But yeah, I, I totally didn't even... I think I saw Laura race morning. I came down and I was trying to find anything to eat. And I was like, oh, maybe I can get some toast downstairs. And <laughs> Laura was there. <laughs> yeah, she, she, Laura, Laura now these days, her, her little quiet time window is that 5 a.m. till 7 a.m. in the morning without the kids. And, and I'm always just sleeping. Now it's my sleep-in time with the kids, but she's, uh, she'd come up every morning when we were up there and be like, yeah, I met so-and-so and so-and-so. And I missed all of you. I had the yeah. kids the whole time and I missed all of you, but uh, she did take you caught up with you. I mean, what what has the last 12 months been like for you? Because you seem someone, you love working out. You This is what it looks like when I watch your YouTube and your, all your social media platforms. You love being outside. What's the motivation been like this past 12 months with just the uncertainty of races and things? Yeah, the, the, tw the last 12 months have been kind of um, almost like, full circle for me in a way. It's hard to describe. I think um, last spring when uh, I guess coronavirus kind of hit first, it was just a few weeks before Oceanside in March. Mm -hmm. And I, at that point, was super fired up for the season. I had just started working with Ryan Bolton in January of that year. So it was just kind of um, fresh and new. And I had gotten three months of like this new new style training. Um, I was psyched for the season to start. And then, um, yeah, obviously COVID hit and it was like, okay, this is fine. Like, cause for me, March, April, May is kind of this building into the season. Um, the last mm -hmm. five years, obviously my focus has been Kona in October. So it's been this careful balance of, okay, it, the year is a progression towards being at my absolute best come October. So it wasn't too heartbreaking in March, April, like, okay, um, that's usually a, a, yeah, like breaking off the off season and kind of getting going. So it's like, okay, we'll get going in June, July this year. Um, and it obviously, as everyone knows, it just kept getting pushed. So 
um, we, uh, meaning Wadi and I, and then working with Ryan, my coach just kept kind of that base level up. And for me, it was, um, really just a year of getting to train, um, with, without that race pressure of a race looming. And I feel like I got in just a crazy year of really great Ironman, um, not base training, but just, I was able to, I guess, experiment with training in terms of not having that race pressure. And so I got a year mm. under my belt of, of this kind of new style of training that Ryan's known for. And partly why I went with him in terms of a coach, um, just needing something new, but then also he's in Tucson here a lot, especially with the Kona lead in. He's done so much with Ben Hoffman. who's one of my really good friends. And I've mm. seen how he's transformed his run um, to one of the fastest marathon Ironman racers. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, again, that's not, it comes off as, Oh, it was this great year. It was obviously not always, yeah, uh, no, sunshine and roses, but <laughs> I feel like I was able to, yeah, just like go out. I rode a ton. I ran a ton. I ran more than I ever have. And for me, I think the run is where I haven't yet shown what I, I think I can do. So we put a lot of work in there. Um, I was able to just relax, get on my gravel bike a lot, put in a lot of uh, miles there, off-road, exploring here in Tucson, and then also up in Bend, Oregon area. So it was good. It was kind of a mental reset. Um, and I feel like it almost recharged me um, to really hit, I guess, the next whatever it might be, two, three years at the highest level in triathlon. Mm. So um, I think in that sense, it was it was really good. It was this kind of like showing me what I do still want to do. And it's, um, I want to, yeah, get back to that. I, I'm sure as everyone does missing racing, missing, having that goal to go after and go after it at the highest level. And I feel like I came into 2021, like, okay, I'm ready, like all in just mm. what can I do? Because I know I'm not, it's so crazy. I'm, I still feel like I just got into this sport and I know that I'm at like the, the peak, maybe end of not end of my career, but I mean, I'm 36. I've raced five Konas and I feel like I might have like two or three left at the highest level. So I, yeah, it's kind of been this rejuvenation of, okay, what can we do to give those, those final shots the best I possibly can. Yeah, that's brilliant. And the adaptability of a champion there. I love all of that because it's, you know, 2020 is a big year. You you, you find a new coach, uh, Ryan Bolton, who I have all the time in the world for. And if people haven't listened to that episode, please do. And I need to have him back because I think we ended up just talking so many old school stories. We didn't actually go into the science of coaching enough. But um, <laughs> from what I understand, Ryan does use sort of a lot of the Arthur Lydiard model of coaching. And for people who don't know, Arthur Lydiard was sort of one of the great coaches of the, the 60s and 70s out of New Zealand, um, Olympic champions everywhere on the track. And, and his his running model just is incredible. And, and I know a lot about him because when Laura and I started coaching ourselves, Arthur Lydiard became our real go-to in terms of the kind of training. And it can be brutal. It can be a lot of work, probably more miles and most people are, are used to but it's amazing what the body can take and 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 so for you changing coaches adapting to the new year um i loved going to your youtube and seeing some of the adventure training that that you and what you do where you just sort of venture out on your gravel bike and you just you say yeah we're gonna go do this gosh i watched this one you did with ben hoffman and it was 158 <laughs> miles so 
for people in metrics, that is what, two, 240 kilometers <laughs> on, on, on a gravel bike? Um, or is it more than that? Maybe. I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, just absolutely insane kind of training. Has that been fun? Like you said, just I'm not really doing specific Ironman work. I'm just building the body's strength and, 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 and challenging myself with some mental rides. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by like um, just experimenting with the training of like, it's not like, okay, I've got a five hour ride with six by 30 minute efforts. It's um, okay. We're going out on this Epic today. And it was a year of that that makes, I think Ironman um, seem like nothing, not like nothing. (laughs) This is going to hurt, but I also need to preface your statement with, okay, anything that involves Hoff is going to be (laughs) crazy. I feel like Hoff always just like kind of like understatedly like sucks you into like, oh yeah, we're going to do this long ride on the weekend. Like you guys in and Wadi and I are like, oh yeah, cool. What's on tap? Oh yeah. We're going to try the backside of lemon. And it's not just the backside of lemon. It's like a six hour lead in prior to the two hour (laughs) climb. That's that's awesome. He's done the same to me, by the way, when I was finishing off my career in Boulder and and we would be like, yeah, let, let's do this, you know, 220K ride up, you know, the peak to peak highway. We'll go all the way down to Golden. We'll climb. We'll come back around. Um, I think Tim Don and maybe Tim O'Don, uh, uh, T-O-U, I think there was a group of us. We all went and did it. And it really, look, these the, these adventures are fun though, aren't they? I mean, so long as you've got fueling and, and um you know, they are a fun day out to some degree. I mean, you get exhausted yeah. and you come home and you you spent, but boy, you feel satisfied, don't you? Yeah, no, exactly. And when I think back on 2020, I mean, that day literally is one of the ones that will stick out of the entire year. So those memories from last year of just, um, yeah, those crazy days out with the Hoff and a couple other friends that we spent most of the year with um, were, yeah, are my key memories of this last year. <laughs> Mm, yeah, that's brilliant. And look, uh, just for our listeners that don't know, let, let's rewind the clock a little bit because you are one of the most extraordinary athletes I think I've ever had on this show. And what I mean by that is the the amount of sports that you've done and the varied sports. Now, 90% of the triathletes that I've had on this show would say they came from a swimming background and then they found triathlon, blah, blah, blah. That becomes their story. But you making national teams for ice hockey and playing soccer and then track cycling. you got to rewind the clock. Take us through how did you finally get your passion for triathlon and take us through the journey of Heather Jackson because it really is quite amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Start um, when you were like three. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, so, yeah, to make it as quick as possible. I mean, my mom um, was a gym teacher, a phys ed teacher for 30 plus years. So um, she's really, her and my dad were really the, I think, drove it home for uh, myself and my three siblings. Of They had us in every sport you could think of. So literally from when I could stand, I was doing, yeah, I was skating on the frozen pond. I'm from New Hampshire. So um, mm. a lot of the winter sports, skiing, um, ice hockey, but then also my mom just being the gym teacher, like she also refereed or umped, umpired after school every day. So like softball, soccer, basketball, tennis, um, she had us all in gymnastics. Just we literally were exposed to everything, which 
I, I think back and I'm like, I couldn't have asked for a better, I guess, just development of all, all motor skills really of, and, and also having that team background aspect. Um, so that was literally my childhood playing everything. And then it was probably, um, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth grade into junior high and high school. I was really soccer and ice hockey were my life. Um, and I was playing on the Olympic development program for soccer as well as the, um, wow. kind of national, <laughs> national team program for ice hockey. Um, and kind of trying to make that decision with, yeah, I didn't want to specialize, but, um, it ended up being that in high school, um, women's ice hockey was growing very quickly and the education opportunities were more with the Ivy league schools at that point. I think there were only 13 or 14 schools that had women's programs, but it gave me that opportunity, um, to go to an amazing academic school. And so that was ultimately where was that? What that was, that was Princeton, right? Is that where Princeton? You went? Yeah. So I ended up at Princeton wow. and everyone's always like, Oh, you went to Princeton. I'm like, well, I literally owe everything to the coach there, Jeff Campersall, who I still, whenever I reference my coach, I, it's still always Jeff. Like he, I used to train with, he helped out with the national team programs. So I knew him from even before college. And then he coached me for four years, um, at Princeton. And then, I mean, I'm still close with him, but yeah, he, he really, um, he actually came in high school. I had to make an early decision, uh, college choice, my senior year of high school. And he showed up, it was like early November. I think the cutoff for early decisions, November, mid November. And he came to one of my soccer games out of the blue, didn't tell me he was coming and was like, I'm at your soccer game. You're coming to my school. And so I decided to go early decision. Princeton. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, that, so I was at that point committed to ice hockey and training um, with the U- under 18 um, national team program in the summers, uh, which were out of Lake Placid, New York, which is why I have such a love for Lake Placid. I spent probably seven or eight summers there training just out of the, the training center there. Um, and then, yeah, I guess two thousand. I graduated from college in 2006 and that coincided with the Torino Olympic games. Um, I missed the cut for that team in the summer. So, um, oh, that was how kind close of, was that? Was that devastating or was it close or? Yeah, it's, Hockey's a weird one because it's a team sport. It's kind of like you, not you know, but it's, I think it was top 40. We're training there in the summer and then they narrow it down um, for the lead in to about 27. So I missed that, I guess, 13 or 14 Jeez. people that they cut. So, but it's very much how, how you play with your line mates, like what lines are working well, what, so I don't know. It was devastating, but also it was also like, okay, it was devastating because it coincided with my senior year and there wasn't really anything for women's hockey post-college at that point. Um, now they have a minor league um, league that you can keep going in, keep um, progressing mm-hmm. and still trying to make, say, one more na- um, Olympic cycle if gotcha. if that's something to go after. But for me, that was it. So then it became like, now what? Um, Mm. So, Did you think about going back to soccer ever? I mean, 
I always figure women's soccer is has quite the league and is building in popularity. Was that ever on the yeah. on the table? Yeah, it was. I guess I had had moved so far away just in those four years of college from it that it was. Yeah, it was more okay. What can I do? What I had studied political science. Um, and it yeah, it was kind of a weird time. It was like, now what? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I had, I actually, this is a funny little story for you. I don't know if you'll remember this or not, um, but not, not remember this incident. But I, re- if you remember me telling you this story, my, I applied to this program through Princeton. It's called Princeton in Asia and got a teaching. It was a one year teaching position over in Thailand. And so actually after graduation in June, I moved, I went um, to Thailand for a year to teach English. And that's kind of, I had done some triathlons in the summers with my parents. My mom is the one that got me into this, into triathlon. She was going to do a local one. And I was like, Oh, I want to go with you and try it. And I think that was the summer prior. Um, and so I had done a few, but then I was in Thailand and they had the, it was, I had to have been one of the first years of the Phuket triathlon. And um, I like traveled down from uh, Thailand to go or Northern Thailand. Sorry. I was posted mm-hmm. up in Chiang Mai and um, you and Laura were in the airport. And I remember I went up to you and I had a like triathlete magazine and I asked you guys for your autograph. <laughs> <laughs> you would have made us you would have made our day sitting in an airport and having somebody ask for our autograph we, we must have loved that <laughs> you That's guys but it was awesome it was like um yeah that would have been 2007 i think 2007 or eight yeah yeah I can't one of those or eight yeah, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember the exact years we were there. We, we did go a couple of years to that, that Phuket Triathlon. I think it's still going. It's one of the great destination races. Everybody should check it out for a racecation. I, I think it's been going a lot longer than actually those years. I think it was probably started okay. in the mid-90s actually, but that's hilarious. Okay. So that was your – did you race? Did you end up doing the, the Yeah, I just – I was yeah. doing um, – yeah, because I was – what was I? 21 or 22. So I was still the age, age grouper um, mm-hmm. just – yeah, racing whatever race I could find. <laughs> wow, wow! And so you had your year then uh, in in Phuket, which look I think for a lot of us we leave university and, and you know you've had your kind of your blinders on, right? You you've been doing the ice hockey, you're doing your studies, that's what you're doing, and then it's kind of oh, okay, I've done what I've set out to do. I did high school, I got into the proper Ivy League school. Everyone said I should try and make. I focused on my sport. And then you come out the other end, you're like, whoa, now what? Now life really has to start. And, and it can be a little scary, right? I mean, any any of those transitions in life, and I've had a number of guests on this show where we talk about transitions not being the easiest part, but it's interesting. So long as you keep moving, so long as you keep doing something, and that's what you did by going to Phuket, you you know, it sounds like that's where you started to fall in love with triathlon a little bit more, was it? Yeah, exactly. No, it was, yeah. I was addicted because I... I had come from team sports. And so this was like a totally new challenge because it was me. Like there were no excuses out there. Like, Oh, you aren't Mm. clicking with your teammates. Um, you you know, you're having a bad game. It's like, no, it's all on you. And it's how fast can you make yourself go on that day? And Mm. so I, yeah, I fell in love with it just testing myself. Um, and yeah, 
every race was like, oh my God, I should have done this differently or I could do this better. So yeah, definitely mm. fell in love with it immediately. <laughs> and was there a point where you were like, you know, you started as an, a young age grouper, you transitioned, obviously you're a natural athlete, you have some ability. Like, And when I say natural athlete, I see you as probably somebody very agile, speed, you know, can work with teams, good hand-eye, all of that. And, so, and then you become this, you're very much like Laura in this sense. I always tell Laura, was triathlon the right sport for you? Because I really feel like you could have been tennis or golf or, I don't know, like <laughs> we could be sitting here making millions, but it, no, it's a, um, it's a side topic. <laughs> but she chose triathlon because her dad loved it and she loved the single pursuit of testing herself as well, right? So the mental, emotional side fitted Laura. But I think physically, I think she was a gifted athlete. And and for you, when did you kind of realize, well, hang on, triathlon is my talent and my strength and I could become one of the world's greats in this? Was there a moment in time? Oh, man. No, I was still it don't feel that I mean, way though. <laughs> oh, well, you should. Please do not undersell yourself. I think, you know, anybody that's getting multiple world te- uh, championship medals and, 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 and doing Ironmans at the speed that you're doing them, eight, what's your best, 837 or something? 39 maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. The problem is when you become, and we all do it, you get entrenched in what you're doing and you don't realize the world looking in are going, wow. That's actually phenomenal. So without being, you know, underselling yourself, what was it over time that you kind of said, I've got some talent and strengths here? Or was there one, do you remember one particular race going, maybe I, I could do this? Um, I think so after that year in um, Thailand, I came back and I got a teaching job in San Jose, California area and moved out West to teach and um, it was just at this like local group ride that Wadi, my now husband, mm-hmm. he at the time was working for Triathlete Magazine. And he and editor at the time, Brad Culp, had come up to do this story on the local triathlon teams in the Bay Area. And they came on this Wednesday ride just because they were in the area and wanted to do a, a training ride. And that's where I met Wadi. And without making it too long of a story like I he was literally on my wheel on this ride and I'm like actually (laughs) it was when you you were were, I think good friends with or at least raised Brian Lavelle Becky and Brian would go on these Uh, Wednesday rides and um I would just try to chase Brian's wheel and I was yelling at Wadi like we have to stay on his wheel have to stay on his wheel we're gonna get dropped and it's gonna like it would be a headwind all the way back of this group ride so fast forward we make it on Brian's wheel or the front group get back and Wadi's like who is this girl and he is the one that I guess was like what are you doing teaching like you could teach anytime you're 22 um you're so strong you just need that kind of guidance and like um yeah I guess just help from someone that had been in the sport and I think it was just that I guess emotional support or someone that believed in me I I guess I felt I always felt coming into the sport, I could ride and I had that strength from ice hockey in my legs, but Mm. I've never had the confidence in the water or necessarily on my run. And so it's been just this literally 10 year journey of trying to, I guess, build those up where I do have that confidence the same way I have it with the bike. Um, Because I had the confidence early of like, okay, I can ride with all these girls. 
um, I can ride with them, but then I'd get off and run 20 minutes slower. So it was, I don't know that there's been one point it's been this progression of trying to get all three together and then thinking of myself as a complete triathlete, if that makes sense. Mm. A quick mini break. I really want to encourage you to do something special for yourself and sign up to Athletic Greens and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. I'm loving the new Hypervolt Go percussion massage device from Hyperice. It's powerful, quiet, lightweight, and TSA approved so I can use it while I travel. Check out the Hypervolt Go and all the other incredible Hyperice gear at hyperice.com and use code GREG10 for a 10% discount. That's hyperice.com. And it's a constant work in progress, isn't it? I, I've talked a lot on this show also about kind of my my struggles with confidence, especially in my twenties. Um, and it took me a long time to you know believe in myself. And and a bit like Wadi for you was Laura for me that 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 person that believed in me more than I did in myself. And exactly. it's that constant. Come on, just get out of your own way. You know, just get out of your own way. That's what Laura, that's a quote from Laura. Just get out of your own way. And it's become there's been times where where you know I'll be a few weeks out from a major race and and, and I'll just say, Laura, you got to take over everything. Take over the training because I'm losing my <laughs> I'm losing my stuff over here. And 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 I I don't you know. And so she would like, look, you're only going to do a 2k swim today, or you're only and she'd back me off because I'd often just be thinking the training, I need to train more, I need to do more. And so she was very good at helping me calm down and find that self-belief. And that became a work in progress. And mm-hmm. and finally, I really started taking ownership of, you know, visualizing and affirmations and, and really becoming more and more confident in my ability. But like you, I was probably early to mid thirties before I really, <laughs> really started to feel like I had the ownership. I mean, has there been a time in this last 10 years where you've kind of gone, Right, I need to pull the trigger and, and and really take full control of the controllable 100% responsibility. Has there been that, or has it been building just together? You guys just kind of building this 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 teamwork that you have, which is phenomenal, by the way. I love the way you guys work together. But oh. it's, been, it's been over time. No, literally, what you're just—I mean, I'm 36, so mid 30s, and literally, it's yeah. been a month basically of me. I don't know what it is. It's like why I. I I'm like, why didn't this click five years ago? Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, I need yes, that yes. ownership myself and to believe it. And Wadi's like, I can only tell you so many times, like, look what you've done. Look at your mm-hmm. training. Look at, um, you know, the races you've won. And literally it was, I think in December, as we were kind of like resetting, getting ready for this year and like, listen, let we're all in for like, you know, X number of Kona's left. Like, when is, what's it going to take for you to know that you can show up at that race? And like, I've always gone into it like, Oh, top 10, top 10 will be great. Mm. Like it's top 10 in the world. And that's always been my, I guess, almost like a protective, um, thing because then when you go there and you do top 10 or better, you're like, Oh my God, I crushed it versus, um, working on that confidence Mm. to be like, I'm prepping myself to go there and try to win this race. And even just saying that now, it's mm. like, that's hard for me. But it's literally been in the last month mm. of kind of working on these skills. I've been reading like 
three or four new books, just working on that actively and not just being like, oh yeah, I am mentally strong. When I go to my training, I can push harder than anyone else. Like thinking that's what you're doing. Um, everyone's out there working their butts off every day, but it's that mental side of, and taking ownership of, okay, you can't just say it. Like you really do have to believe it. And so literally, yeah, what you've just touched on has been the last, I would say month to two months of not just listening to Wadi giving me that positive reinforcement every day of, okay, like he's almost always, yeah, he believes more in me than I do in myself. And now I'm trying to make that switch. (laughs) It's it's like you train the physical. You need to train the mental. It, it's you need to keep working on it. When I, when I had uh, Mark Allen uh, on the show and we were discussing sort of his mental approach for for the Ironman, and he said, "Look, it wasn't. I was never trying to be a positive thinker." He said, "Look, all all I was trying to do was reduce the noise." And reduce the noise and find a quiet place in my mind. That was always his goal. But he said, "I practiced it religiously daily." all the time, just trying to turn the noise down. And I've described it this year a little bit as let's just reduce the negativity rather than strive for happiness or strive for positivity. Let's just turn down the mass media hysteria. Let's turn down the noise, you know, and this negativity and let's just get ourselves to neutral. Then we can start working on things like I can see myself winning, I can see it. And and Dr. Tommy Wood, who came on the show and described it, and and we were talking about this, he said, Greg, what you think has a direct impact on your physiology. What you think every single day can affect you physically. So we always laugh about it. Like, you know, Laura and I would be training and be like, "Um, gosh, can you just go train for me? I'm too tired, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just want to sit here and visualize it or whatever. And and thought it was always funny, but there's actually some truth to it. Lying on a massage table and going through a race and visualizing, you're actually having a hormonal chemical response to the body. And it just takes that kind of work, doesn't it? It takes that ability to just keep reminding yourself that I'm training to win this race. I'm training to win this race. And putting it out there is scary. You know, it's scary, like you said. Coming onto a podcast and say, I am training to win Kona Ironman. That is what I am trying to do. I am here to become the world champion. I have no doubt you have it in you. I'm a bit like Wadi. I can see it. We can all see it. But maybe it has been keeping that expectation lower that uh, has made you comfortable. But then now it's like, hang on, I've got four to five good years left. Mm-hmm. Enough. <laughs> exactly. No, totally. I appreciate that. <laughs> No, but but I think there's, you know, you mentioned a few books you read. What, what books are you reading? Just so our listeners can maybe check them out as well. Oh, yeah. So um, I just read, well, the one that I just love that I couldn't put down is called Relentless. Um, mm. And then I read Presence by Amy Purdy. Um, Shift Your Mind is another one. I think it just got released more recently. Um, and then what was the other one? They're literally all like on my bedside table, but Relentless yeah. was probably my absolute favorite. It was. Is that um, the New Zealand woman who wrote that? Um, no, oh. not Relentless. No. Um, no. I can't remember it was, what's okay. his name? He was like the uh, physical trainer and then also just like helped out a lot of the NBA stars. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. And, okay. Yeah, I'll put those in the show notes. Tim something, but. Yeah, it's really that like 
it's a, it's really a kind of a pump up, but like believe in yourself. So if you read a chapter and then go do a workout, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read the book just recently? And uh, I think I said on this show, I keep, I keep buying books, but with a one and a three-year-old, I feel like all they do is sit on the next to my bed. And, 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 and for some reason I'm not digesting them at all by not reading them. I don't know. I thought it just buying them was enough, but um, I did buy the book uh, Range by David Epstein. And, oh, and the reason I mentioned that book is, is really they're, they're talking about, you know, Tiger Woods being a singular focused athlete from the age of three or whatever, and, and Roger Federer really not picking up one sport until he was in his mid-teens. And you obviously remind me a lot more of the Roger Federer model where it's like, look, I'm going to do every single sport before I kind of channel in on on the one. Um, I, again, I haven't finished the book. I've started a couple of chapters, but that's what I took away from it. And, 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 and I, it's interesting when we, we kind of look at athletes like yourself, some of the world's greatest endurance athletes and things, where did they come from? Um, and like I said, at the top of the show, there's very few that are coming from ice hockey and soccer uh, and all that. But there was also a moment I read that you were choosing whether to do triathlon or track cycling. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was actually right around that time I mentioned when I met Wadi. Um, and I was still, I think I was 22 or 23 that first year out of college. And straight from ice hockey, I had the, le- the leg muscles and could ride. And so this would have been 2009. Um, I, Wadi, at the time was still track cycling. He's got just a, an amazing history, um, racing the track. He was primarily points racer, Madison racer. He's got like 10 national championships. So he was, um, is that right? I didn't know that about Woody. There we yeah, go. totally. That was, he's a sprinter. Yeah. He, he can yeah. literally Ryan will give me sprints on the bike and Wadi can like sit up sprint faster than me while filming on a GoPro. And I'm like doing it all out. <laughs> Riding backwards, filming, had the drone above, filming. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But yeah, it was, uh, that was, yeah, 2009. He basically, um, he had convinced me to move down to San Diego. He would help me out, look after me. um, And he started bringing me to the track with him. He was doing like, it was just local San Diego velodrome, like Tuesday and Thursday night track racing. Um, and he got me on the track and I fell in love with that like immediately as well, just because it's so fast and it's so hard. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've got this weird, like, well, I can't sprint, so I should take that back, but I've got this weird, like I can hold really great power from like two to four minutes. And then mm-hmm. like Iron Man, I can ride at, five hours at like all day long at a very solid thing. But so it was this weird thing where he was like, uh, he had me try the individual pursuit. Um, and yeah, Which for some dangerous. reason I could just go for three, whatever it was, three and a half minutes yeah. Um, yeah. on the track. And so he threw me in a few of the local races and I kind of upgraded pretty quick. And then he's like, yeah, we're going to do national championships, which were in LA, which was a whole different velodrome. But, um, I went and that actually, sorry, that would have been summer of 2009 because I raced the 2009, 
um, national championships up at uh, in LA and um, did individual, ended up getting third in the individual pursuit. And so it was then that um, kind of the national coach for that track cycling team was there and was, um, they had announced that individual pursuit were not going to be in London 2012 games. It was going to be team pursuit. So they were trying to really ahead of time early on get together this group of women who would train to try to take on the team pursuit. And so for about four or five months, I, we had moved up to LA. Um, we were living in, we were living with Wadi's mom in LA and (laughs) just going to the velodrome every day. And it was, the year that I had um, had raced some half Ironmans with decent results, nothing crazy, but I was biking really well. And it was the first year of the um, the Trek K Swiss program, and so mm-hmm. that they were forming. And Wadi was literally like begging them to give me a shot on that team. And meanwhile, I was doing the the track cycling. So at the end of that year, it basically came down to committing full-time to the track cycling in route to London, which was still like three years away. Um, I absolutely love triathlon. Track cycling was kind of just this thing that was, it was super fun, but not, I don't know. I didn't see my life like indoors at a velodrome every single day versus mm-hmm. enjoying triathlon. And then um, Trek K-Swiss program decided to bring on two kind of, I guess, development athletes and it was myself and Andrew Yoder and we basically got like free bikes and some free shoes and we were like yeah we made it and so it was like <laughs> oh my full commitment to triathlon that year 2010 <laughs> that's awesome isn't it isn't it amazing though when you do get those first that first sort of somebody actually believes in you enough to give you a bike and shoes and you know, yeah. it, it's pretty special, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I love Seriously. That. And even like, I think back to those 2010, 11 and 12 were my first professional years in the sport. And all those people from that first team, it was like Dibs and Chris Lieto, Matt Lieto, Barney, Joe Gambles, Fraser Cartmel. Like those people are still the people that I'm probably... Is, I mean, I have, yeah, other great friends in the sport as well, but they've still remained friends and it's been over 10 years now. And they were there with me of my earliest memories in this sport. And so it's just, mm-hmm. it's cool to look back at now. <laughs> That's fantastic. I I still remember, I think my, my first sponsor was, I think it was Silconi running shoes in 19... 19- Gosh, I'm aging myself now. I'm 127 years old, but basically 1991 or something, and they gave me two thousand dollars and some shoes. Yeah. But one of the one of the races I was racing in Sydney, this sprint triathlon, it was a Nike sprint series, so it must have been 92. And these Nike, these Sorconi shoes, and no offense to people wearing Sorconi right now, but at the time, they blistered the hell out of my feet. And I had to take them off halfway through the run because my feet were just killing. And it was a big race, big crowd right there on uh, Lady Macquarie's chair there in Sydney on the harbour. And anyway, I didn't know what to do with the shoes. Do I ditch them? You know, I'd never had a sponsor before. I was a 20-year-old kid. And anyway, so I ran with them in my hands. <laughs> I crossed the line with the, the Silconi shoes in my hands and the Silconi rep came up to me afterwards and said, Greg, never 
have the shoes in your hands ever again. Oh he's like, he's like, ditch them because it looks so much worse for us to see your feet bleeding with your shoes in your head. Um, so anyway, that, that's my little side story. I'm sorry. Enough about me. Let's go back to your journey because awesome. <laughs> I, I, when, when you decided then, you know, it's, it, it basically came down to triathlon was going to say, you've got K-Swiss and track willing to come on board and back you for triathlon. The track cycling team, would have you raced the 2012 Olympics had you stayed that way? I think if I had committed, um, I probably could have made that team. Um, there were three or four women. Um, it was Dotsie Bausch, Sarah Hammer, um, Jenny Reed, and there were, and then a couple others that were all kind of four or five women vying for those three spots. So um, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't want to say like, yeah, I could have, it, but it would have been, no, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's extraordinary then. And, and I know I've said it, but the fact that you just missed the Olympic team for ice hockey, um, you had the big decision, whether I do ice hockey or soccer at, at university, which, you know, you could have gone either way. Then you've track cycling is okay. I'll put that to the side as well, but that's potentially Olympics. And and you've chosen triathlon the whole way through, which I think is phenomenal. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that triathlon's all the better for it. Um, it's, it's been a hell of a journey. How is – you mentioned Ryan Bolton being your coach. How, how has his training been different from your previous coaches? Yeah. So, oh, my God, Ryan's amazing. He's just like – he's so chill, which is – yeah, it's just – relaxing so there's no like stress or he's just anything you do or anything puts in like even if it's a bad day he's like it looks he always finds a positive which I think is awesome so but the biggest thing with Ryan's training for me was a shift in the running um in terms of literally just I know you were talking earlier about um a running how he's bases his training, which was <laughs> education for me. I need to <laughs> brush up on that. But no, you don't. You've got Ryan Bowen. Yeah, you don't need to look at anybody else. If you've got Ryan doing it, you're in safe hands. <laughs> <laughs> or who you said he, you think he bases his off of the yeah. – Lydia. Okay, yeah, got it. Um, it's just like – and I've talked to Hop about this so much, even before we started working with him, and now just having the opportunity to – train with Hoff, um, and Ryan, but just that, like you're putting in the miles. I mean, it's the marathon distance. Like you need to be strong and you need to be able to grind your way through, um, that 26 miles and his training just makes the, when it comes to race day, I mean, granted, I haven't been able to race a full Ironman under his coaching yet, but like Mm -hmm. even just every, few months or even less now. I mean, I just had my first kind of longer run this year, um, with tempo in it. Like he makes that 26 miles feel like nothing by just grinding it down every week. Mm. Like you're at that pace, you're just below it. You're pushing that down. And for me, it was always like, Oh, I need to do speed work, which you still need to do speed work. We do do that, that stuff as well. But it's like, the marathon's so much different than say going out and needing to run like kilometer repeats, um, mm-hmm. which is what I always was like, I need to keep my speed up. I need to do these really fast, short efforts. Um, I, I want to keep that in there. And 
with Ryan, it's a lot of hills and it's a lot of hills strength running at the end of like, it's not just like, okay, a 75 minute run, let's do some hills in there. It's like, no, you're running for 90 minutes and then you have like 12, 200 meter hills to do. So mm-hmm. training yourself to still be strong, still hold form, still be able to push two hours in, um, and then running those tempo runs of, okay, not just go out and run two hours. Like, no, we're doing two hours at what you're trying to race at. So it was mm-hmm. definitely a shift for me. Um, and I think something like that takes time, um, to get used to, and then also see, I guess that it is working. And I, we did a full running a year of running. I have never ran like I ran this past year. And I guess still drawing that one positive from the last 12 months and coronavirus is I had uninterrupted months on end of just this run training. And now, I mean, I had an 18 mile run the other day and it was, it felt like nothing. And I was holding, you know, six twenties at, for the last nine miles, which it's phenomenal. Like I couldn't even, you can't even think that's going to happen. Then all of a sudden everything starts to click and you're like, Oh my God, like, and that's why I've been getting more and more excited. Like I just want to test it. But then, yeah, yeah it's that yeah. slow, like, okay, no, no, we have to wait. We're still putting it in. Like one, yeah, it's just this, but it's exciting for me just because I do feel like the run, the fastest I've run is a three hour marathon at Ironman Arizona. So just even to break the three hour in an Ironman is, would be awesome. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's, it's all being invested in the bank now. And, and, and when, when Ryan and I were talking about sort of the, the training, the, this kind of model of training, it, it, I describe it as you're just trying to improve your best easy pace. Now, easy is not recovery. Right. Easy means you're running easy, but that pace starts to get better and better. And, and what I noticed when we really started to do this same kind of training you're talking about was it, it improved over the weeks and months within a year, but then also the yearly, it just kept improving, improving. And, you know, I would start off after my break and, and, and start back in January and, you know, you get going and maybe start with a 10 mile as your long run or whatever. And it was, and that just felt like hell. And then you just kind of built it up and your miles increase and that pace, that pace just came down without yeah. thinking about it. It was like I kind of had a goal in mind, like I wanted to always do my 20 miles at six-minute mile pace. That was the the goal kind of pace. Yeah. But you can't force it there because it's meant to be easy. So if it's not coming, it's not coming. But then slowly over months and years, it just came to the point, my best easy run on a, you know, a Thursday afternoon second run, I'd go out the door for an 8K easy, five-mile easy run and be like, oh, I'm running six-minute miles. Exactly. It was like the, the ownership just came, right? Is that how it feels for you? Yes, 100%. Like, it's crazy. It just – and everyone's like, oh, what's the secret? What are you doing? What's your training? I'm like, it's – there's no answer. It's just like it takes – it just happens over time, and it's been over a year now. But now my easy jogs, I've been doing – I've been calling it happy hour because instead of – yeah – sitting on the couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've replaced the drinking with. <laughs> so every That's afternoon brilliant. I go out for 30 minutes before dinner and yeah. it used to be like eight minute miles. I mean, they're supposed to be easy, but now yeah, seven minute miles feels easy and it's, Amazing. yeah, it's crazy. Oh. It's just, 
it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for you because I think when, you know, how I, we were talking earlier about sort of the mental ownership and, and trying to become a bit more confident in yourself. It was this style of training, you know, and, and I'd had a reasonable reasonable resume before Laura and I started coaching ourselves in 05. My resume was okay on the scoreboard. It looked good, but I still was struggling with this confident and ownership of races. And then when we started implementing this same, same style of training that you're talking about, um, my visualizing became a lot easier. My ownership and control of the controllables, I could see myself surging with people in races. I could see myself running away from people. The, like you said, I just wanted to race. I was excited to race. And I was focused on the short course stuff, you know, the 10 kilometers off the bike, the Olympic distance. But I knew I could sprint a 10K. I had zero fear of blowing up. So when we hopped off the bike, I just start sprinting. It didn't matter what the pace was because I wasn't going to blow up. I knew I owned it. What, what are your total miles like per week or has it just been the consistent weeks, you think? Yeah, no, it's no exactly what you just described. Um, yeah, so last year we did, we built up, built up, and I was at around like 50 or 60 miles a week for most of it. In August, we put in like a really big, big block and I did like an 80 mile week, a 90 mile week, a 95 mile week, and then a hundred mile week. And then, um, kind of brought it back down the last couple months of the year. But, um, th- right now I'm at about 60, 65 miles a week. And then this week's actually a big run week again. So I think I'm going to be at like 70 or 75 miles. Wow. Wow. That is some decent running here. That's really phenomenal work. Honestly, <laughs> I, and that, that strength and what you get from that is not just the strength, but the efficiency. Like we just mm-hmm. said, you just get so efficient. It just feels, how's that affected uh, your swim and, and, and that and, and your bike? Have you noticed they're, they're still good to go? Um, how's that felt? Yeah, it's definitely, so the focus has been basically the swim and run right now and the bike is getting brought in now. Um, so I certainly don't feel the strongest on the bike um, currently, but um, the swim has been amazing. We found this um, swim coach here in Tucson, which I've worked with so many different coaches and so many people have helped me um, throughout the years on my swim. And it's just still been this not having ever swam until I was like 20 ongoing thing. But um, to have someone just on deck I think I've never really had someone literally correcting me um, like mid effort or even like when I get to the wall. So just having that person there has been huge. And so I've been swimming every morning. What's his name or her name? Um, His his name's Justin Slade. Um, Everyone calls him the aqua bear. He basically, and Oh, a side part of that is he, he swam at um, ASU up in Tempe and then was kind of coaching in the Phoenix, Tucson area. And this pool came up for sale and he bought it. This was 10, 15 years ago. So it's a private pool. So it's not, it won't close due to different restrictions. So that's why we've been able to swim, which has been amazing. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. How, um, how are you? Let me just interrupt your train of thought. Cause I, how, how are you when somebody's giving you instructions in the pool? Because Laura's fantastic at it and I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I, I'm kind of like a bull at a gate. Like I just want to go hard and stop telling me to move my right pinky or my hand. You know, like how, how are you when somebody's giving you instructions, especially under duress? I mean, at, 
for me in the pool, I would say I'm that like, I just want to go hard in the bike and run. And that's always been my like, kind of like, you're not going hard every day. And I have to listen to like Wadi and Ryan in the pool. I'm at the point where it's like, I do whatever someone says, because it's just been this like Mm -hmm. battle of trying to learn the water. And the biggest thing with him actually with Aqua Bear um, is, I love that. (laughs) like, Like you can't, pull the water harder you can't fight the water the water will win every time so even if I work as hard as I possibly can like all out throwing my hands down like they're just sliding through the water because I'm trying to pull harder so it's Mm. it's been this mental shift for me in the water of like yeah you have to grab the water you have to hold it you have to have that good catch but you can't fight it and you have to be you have to work with it and he's very like Hmm. He's very, yeah, that it's hard to describe because he's not a soft coach in terms of like, he's stopping you to correct form, which is our coaches have done in the past with me. And I feel like you never get fit. You never get mm-hmm. the swimming you mm-hmm. need, but he's doing this, like be soft with the water, let it hold you up. Like be one with it while you're just swimming all out. Like I showed up this morning and I thought it was going to be a more endurance Monday lighter. And it was like 40, 75s at threshold on like five seconds rest. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. like you're at the wall and he's shouting at you, like, keep your head in line. Don't move your head. And then 75 later, he's like, soft hands, soft hands. Five seconds. <laughs> like every time there's something else to give you. And so for three lengths of the pool for over an hour straight, like every one I had, okay, three more lines. Think about this, like early breath, like cat, cat, like soft hands. Every time there's something, which, you know what, you know, what's incredible about that is, as I can hear, I can hear his passion through what you're saying that Mm -hmm. he truly wants the best for you. He truly wants to see you become a great swimmer. You know, oh my God. a coach, totally a coach does. That sees that. How many of you are swimming in this this private pool squad that he has there? He so, um, it. I was introduced to him by these two um, Canadian ITU athletes, Chelsea, or actually Chelsea's US, but Chelsea Burns and Joanna Brown. Somehow, mm. um, I don't know how they knew of him or knew of the pool. And so back in like November, December, when pools were still kind of iffy, um, they had reached out and set up this program with him. We were doing three days a week and Lionel, who, um, has now spending way more time here. Um, he had reached out and he showed up in December, um, and was like, no, I want, I want every day with you. And I was like, I need to get on that as well. And so Lionel and I have been going five days a week um, yeah. with the Aqua Bear. And then Lionel has brought down a friend that he trains with, Corey Bellamore. He's the uh, beer mile world champion, but he's actually a phenomenal swimmer. He's, I mean, he's everything, swim, bike, and run, but um, he's kind of Lionel's training partner. And now um, Eric and Paula Finley are down here as of mm. it's been like two or three weeks now. So we've got like a pretty good squad now of probably That's a great six or seven squad. of us. Yeah. So 
Well, er- Eric's a phenomenal swimmer. Er- oh Eric Lagerstrom, yeah. he's phenomenal. And pa- Paula, Paula also moves through the water very, very well as well. I mean, that's a great, the great squad. You've got yourself and Lionel desperate. Yes, but to find find us a few minutes, find us a few minutes, and uh, and then you got sort of the front, front pack swimmers like Eric Lagerstrom and Paula Finley. But you're all there, isn't it? Great to have that kind of team and community around you, though, of like minded people. It's just, oh man, makes, it's, makes the world so much better, huh? Yeah, it's like I look forward to going. It's like fun now. I don't. I literally would get up and dread going to the pool because I I swim alone. Go okay. 10 500s like here we go and it's it's night and day of like we don't know what we're gonna get we don't know what we're doing that day and it's always fun everyone's yeah just pushing each other and uh, yeah he's such a good coach with like eric can do hundreds on like i don't even know i mean he's doing hundreds on like 102 103 and so he has me do 75s on that like it's he works it out so everyone's going together and then yeah like yeah it just it works so well yeah i mean just to have that community where you're all suffering together uh, i think that's why the the sport of triathlon where we're, we're actually as much as it's an individual sport we're all very social people because we yeah. all basically it's like going to war and back or you know we, we we and you come back and you tell your stories and you suffer together and that 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 really does bond you i, I want to shift a little bit here and just talk about some of the things, your fundamentals that you're able to do that are keeping you consistent, things like your nutrition. Are you, is there any kind of particular diet that you're following or is it just get calories in at this point? Uh-huh. Um, I would say, no, I mean, Wadi and I eat really healthy. Um, I think just, mm-hmm. yeah, not naturally. I mean, we obviously make a concerted effort to be very, to be healthy, but it's been more just like proactively okay Sunday afternoons or Mondays are like meal prep for the week because I find if like we don't have the meals ready or at least everything in the kitchen then it's like okay let's just get order takeout <laughs> yeah yeah um, but I'm not like I'm certainly I certainly know what to do when it's like okay we're eight weeks out from Kona like cut back on the desserts or the chips in between meals like things like that but I wouldn't say I'm, I'm probably one of the more very kind of relaxed. Um, I don't have any Mm -hmm. sort of like gluten-free or anything like that. So pretty basic, really just basic, like a protein, a a starch, like we eat a lot of just like grilled chicken or, um, some other protein, a sweet potato and a nice big salad. Um, yeah. What what are you doing for fueling while you're training? And is there anything particularly you take or use? Um, Primarily just, um, I mean, I'm with Herbalife. I've been with Herbalife for 10 years now. They have a really good electrolyte. Yeah. They were there from the start. Like after Trek K-Swiss, literally we got an email and we were like, is this for real? And we were in the Herbalife offices in LA a week later. And yeah, I've been with them since, which it's just, yeah, it's been an amazing partnership just to have that sort of support daily where, um, it isn't so much about the racing as it is just like sharing the journey, um, <clears throat> promoting that healthy lifestyle. Um, so yeah, super grateful to them, but I mean, pretty basic. I switched to just like mostly liquid calories. Um, when I was trying to really dial in Kona nutrition versus like, I used to take 
okay, bars and, um, mm. but it's mostly, mostly gels and then just liquid calories in my, in my electrolyte drink. Mm. Go on to the days where people, you remember you, you put your power bar and you put it on the top of your frame and <laughs> exactly, then it melt. Exactly. I used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually still recent history for most people, but exactly. I know I, I always remember people. You know, they're, they're sticking their the power bars on the top of their frame. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure this kind of conditions are suited to this kind of thing. But anyway, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I and, certainly and had a couple couple full Ironmans that went south quick after I had like I was like, oh, everyone says like, don't change on race day, like don't change what you do from training. And in training, we would stop at a grocery store and I'd get like (laughs) Snickers and a Coke and like some salty chips or crackers or something. And so I used uh, literally the first Ironman I did, I think I did that. And it was, I was at every quarter potty on the run. (laughs) Just, (laughs) I I think everyone should have a little time out at Harvey meet at the or no what's that little town on the way back for Harvey and yeah. uh, everyone should have to stop and have a coke and a Mars bar yeah exactly because <laughs> that's how everybody seems to train right everybody seems to train they take their rest at around that four hours three to four hours yep. has a coke and a Mars bar and then it gets going so I think we should make that mandatory in Iron Man what do you I think? agree <laughs> <laughs> what about what about your your um sleep and recovery are you able I mean with the amount of work you're doing you go to sleep all right are you having to do you take anything to help you get to sleep is there anything you do um i'm not too bad um with sleep like usually we're on a really again i feel like i'm in a little bubble of the like start to 2021 because i've been Mm. the last six weeks have been like really good just we're on a routine like we eat wadi and i usually eat around like 5 p.m we'll like read watch tv we watch a lot of like shark tank and then we're in bed by like seven maybe reading for another hour um he usually works like he's on his computer designing kits or doing other stuff for wadi ink but um we're lights are out by like eight ish so i think just getting on that um routine and it's like it's become just programmed like i'm falling asleep by 8 8 30 i get up at like five um, get ready at my coffee, head to the pool. So it's, I think it's just sticking to that. It can be so easy. Like when you're not in this little training bubble, like if I'm at home in Bend where my family is or friends and you're like, okay, let's, we're, we're going to go to my parents for dinner. All of a sudden it's 9 PM and you're off Mm. that, that schedule. So, um, yeah, as of start of this year, I've been, I haven't had issues getting to sleep. Like I also haven't done, any sort of like really, really high intensity or hard weeks. I mean, it's, it's loading up like every week with Ryan is a lot of volume, a lot of consistency, but not the crazy efforts yet. And I find that's when I start to get disrupted sleep when you're just like, it's crazy. Like, yeah, you rode your bike for six hours, but within that six hours, I did some crazy efforts and that's where it starts Mm -hmm. to. So I think, yeah, in another month or so, it's going to start to be that okay watch watch if i take any sort of like caffeinated gels too late into the ride then i'm up all night um (laughs) that's true isn't it the caffeine we always had a rule you don't have any caffeine after one um but you you guys sound much like laura and i was uh i remember tio tim o'donnell saying once yeah it's nine around boulder you don't call the bennett's after eight and and it's (laughs) 
we we've been known to be prepping dinner at four, eating dinner by four thirty. Yeah. Having a big bowl of whatever eating on our laps as we watch, you know, like you said, Shark Tank or the latest Netflix series. Exactly. We, we hit sort of seven o'clock and we're like, oh, I'm really tired. You know, it's like, <laughs> boom, we're, we're asleep by eight. And it's just, that, and you're like, wow. We, and you do, you just get into that almost a day. I think the routine when it comes to sleep is almost more important than anything else we do for sleep. It's yeah. like be in bed, have the exact routine. Every night. Um, yeah. It's funny you said, so Bend is home for you. you. Bend is home now for you, is it? Rather yeah, than Tucson? Yeah, I or? consider it that. It's it's funny. We've been spending more and more time in Tucson. Um, it sounds like similar to you and Laura ha- not mm. having headed back up to Boulder yet just because Tucson's yeah. been, um, I w- well, I would say it's probably less locked down than Bend, but having the pool here, the Bend pool has been closed for months. Um, gotcha. And so we never, we've been down here since uh, September. Um, but yeah, Makes I sense. tend to think of Ben yeah. as home. Wadi, I would say more Tucson. He lo- loves the sun, loves riding his bike every day. I don't mind the trainer. So if we're in Bend in the winter, like I'll just get on the trainer and he refuses. So um. <laughs> <laughs> tell me a bit, a bit more about, uh, you know, when, you, so you, you guys, you said you met, um, you and Wadi met in San Jose, and uh, you mentioned Becky and Brian Lavelle, who are a shout out to them, very, very close friends of ours, wonderful, wonderful people. Um, <laughs> but you guys, was it just click? It, it seems to me you both are an incredible team, not just on your journey with with the triathlons and, and, and your ability, but the Wadi Inc., the the merchandise, the clothing the, the, that you guys have and all the athletes that you guys are sponsoring under Wadi Inc. Some of the world's best are now kind of under the banner of Wadi Inc. You guys are quite a team. So tell me about firstly how you guys kind of met in that relationship and then how you're able to work together in this in building this business. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah. So Wadi came up with Brad for that. He was doing an interview of the Alsis team, which was one of these local tri-teams. Um, that Brian was on as well. But I remember specifically, um, I had rushed after school, um, when I was still teaching and I think the meeting was at like three 30 and they were just kind of interviewing some of the local people on that else's team. And then everyone was going to head over to that Wednesday ride. And I remember specifically walking into the office and seeing Wadi and he was like, this tatted up like flat brim, like vans, like surfer shorts on, and I had been in San Jose for maybe six or seven months at that point. And, but San Jose was more like Silicon Valley um, tech type people. And when I moved yeah. to California, I was picturing these like cool surfer dudes. And I was like, where are all the surfer guys? And literally, I walked in and saw Wani. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> And I literally that night went home to my roommate and I told her and I was like, I'm going to marry that guy. And (laughs) sure enough, it was crazy. I mean, no. So to your point, like I would say it was pretty immediate um, on, on both, both sides. We didn't date um, for, it was over another year. I would say I saw him at Oceanside the next year. And then I saw him at Kona and then we didn't start dating until literally I guess it would have been almost two years later than um, Wildflower. Um, to, what would that have been? 2010 maybe or nine. 
Um, so that's another reason why wildflower always holds a oh, special yeah. place in yeah. my heart. Well, you won it half a dozen times. What are we up to now? <laughs> I think wild, wildflower has been your 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 race. I feel like for most of this past decade. But I mean, it's funny with, with yourself and, and Wadi. You know, you got your tattoos and everything. And honestly, as somebody as an outside observer, if I didn't know you guys, but oh, tattoo. You know, I don't know. There's almost like this aggressive look about it. Yeah. And then you couldn't meet. Two more beautiful, sweet soul people oh. in your entire life. I remember when Laura and I first met you guys, and we left. Just going, they are some of the most beautiful people I think we've ever oh. met. You know, and it's like it's unlike these double persona that you guys have. You have this these tattoos and this image projected, but then you do you see it that way? Do you guys see it that way at all, or just it's so funny? Don't think I that. really appreciate that. But no, I mean, yeah, like. I feel the same way though. Cause I, I mean, I came from New Hampshire, like super small town, very conservative. I remember I told my mom I got a tattoo and she was livid, just like, Oh my God, like you've ruined your life. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, but I think it was just like this, like breaking out, like becoming my own person, just like, Oh, it, yeah. just ink on your skin. I don't know. It was this weird shift that I had coming from, I think, where I'd grown up, this New England conservative town. And like you just said, I had that same image of Wadi. Like I was like, oh my gosh, he's got to be a criminal. He's like, <laughs> 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 obviously like falling for the bad boy. And then you meet Wadi and you're like, oh my God, he is the most like the kindest, like most sensitive. Yeah. Um, just, ugh, yeah. So I think it's just so funny because I a lot of people say that to us and I'm like it's just but I do think tattoos have maybe like shifted especially even the last like 10 years of um just like what not what they mean but shifted of like they've become so much more normal now but um yeah for me it was like I don't know he was like I guess the first tattoo I got was in memory of my Nana past who helped raise me. And so I was just going to get one little sparrow over my heart. And Wadi was like, what? Go big or go home. And so it turned into this entire piece. (laughs) (laughs) I have like nine sparrows across my chest, which it's actually one for every person in my family. Um, But it's like like yeah it's just it, it is funny you say that because we get that a lot of I usually get like oh my god you guys are so nice that's not what I was expecting <laughs> or I get I also get a lot oh my god you're so short I thought you were so much taller oh I can't, can't do much about that <laughs> so, that is brilliant that is funny as well I and but the the business that you guys have built together I mean it, oh, it looks like is, it's doing incredibly, incredibly well. I mean, is it? I mean, without prying too much, it looks like you guys are doing incredibly well with Wadi Inc. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, that is all Wadi. I mean, 100%. Like, he works. He wakes up at, like, 4 every morning. He works from 4 all the way through while I swim till about 10 or 11 um, just every day. Um, just, yeah, making that go. And it's he's the creative one him and I they always say opposites attract and he's very much the very creative very open-minded just all these different ideas always flowing and I'm more the like numbers like 
very mm-hmm. not creative at all like no not musical like things like that and he's just so I think that's why we work so well together of just yeah the whole I deal with one side of our mm-hmm. stuff like financial side and doing the bills and having exactly what scheduling. I are. what was that <laughs> Exactly what Laura and I are. Wadi and I are both married nerds that are prepared to do all the finance and the books yeah. and, and all of that to look after us. I'm far more the the creative, the I wouldn't say emotional, maybe I am, but yeah. uh, it, it's kind of like passionate, you know, and, and that's why I've got this show. This show is as much about that as well. Just it, it allows me to have my creativity and, and, and chat with people and, yeah, you know, awesome. like even as to you, my, my hands are flaring. Well, I'm actually a Capricorn, which should have me as quite, I, th- I don't know. I don't know much about science, but I thought that I think it's quite disciplined and everything else. So I don't know. What What are you? I'm a Taurus, so very like stubborn, bullheaded, like straight to the point. Oh, that's what Laura is. That's what, Laura's April 25th. So oh, um, I'm April 24th. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I'm talking to Laura right now. My goodness. <laughs> there we go. Yes, I know. I know a tourist then very well. Uh, you're, very str- you're very strong. If yeah. they put Wadi and I in our place, you know, exactly. you, you girls are you definitely putting us in our place. Which I've talked about Laura many times on this show that that having that strength behind me and putting my putting me in my place has been been such a godsend. Um, so I think I think that's what. What he's got in his corner as well. Um, what, what, so, what is what is next for you? Um, have you got a, a bit of a schedule, kind of tentative this year? What does it look like? Um, somewhat. It's kind of moving. I mean, obviously, we were trying to. I usually start with Oceanside. Just it's drivable. Mm. It's such a good race. I think I've raced it like ten years in a row, um, and that's recently been been postponed already. So um, they did replace it with at least for the pros, um, the Galveston, Texas, 70.3 is on the schedule. Um, I think April 11th. So I've been looking at that just that's been within the last week of like, okay, we could use that. I guess the ultimate goal for the first half was, um, setting our sights on Ironman Tulsa, which they named the, um, North American championship race. So that's been pretty much what everything, what Ryan's been, um, putting everything towards right now. So that's May 23rd. So, and that is really just going there. I mean, the, obviously the goal is an overall amazing race, but the run is like, we're targeting that run, just having that, Mm -hmm. I guess, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain it. Like Hoff said that he had to run a certain pace at I want to say it was Ironman Coeur d'Alene one year to get a Kona slot he had to run into second or third he had gotten hit by a car on the bike so he lost a ton of time and it was like do or die on this marathon and he ended up running like a 235 or something it was that breakthrough run that he had whatever year that was and I'm totally butchering his years but he said it was that race (laughs) that gave him the confidence like I just ran a 235 that you could do that again. And so for me, it's like using Tulsa as the lead, like prep for Kona of like, okay, what can I get from this? What confidence hopefully, or um, yeah, just going in with that goal for Ironman Tulsa. I really like that because I think there's, you know, you, 
you, you take that then it becomes a weapon, you know, and, and you mentioned Hoff and he does have the fastest ever marathon in an Ironman now um, and it is exactly. that 235 or 236, whatever it is, and, uh, and he did have, I don't know if it was the second fastest or the fastest marathon in Kona last year to run himself up to fourth. But having that weapon in your back pocket, you know, it's, I don't know what the numbers are now, but I remember when I really started to focus on the run in about the year 2000, I think. And I was like, okay, I've got to become a, a runner. I've got to get my run, my 10K down into low 29s. And I just worked mm-hmm. it and worked it and worked it. And, and, but it became fun in the ITU running world because I'd even let people go off the front because I just wanted to see how if I could chase them down. It right. wasn't about the win. I just wanted to see how fast it was to the game. The game became exciting because I'd done the work. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'd run them down. Sometimes I didn't. didn't matter. It was about the game of seeing what I could do. But the amount of races that are won with the run, at the time when I was thinking about it, it was like nine out of ten. It really was. If you didn't have the run as a weapon, you weren't going to win. Yeah. And I don't know what it is for Ironman. I'm sure you've sat down with Ryan and, and, and Waddy and looked at kind of going, well, hang on, how many are being won with the run? I mean, let's see what we can do here. And I think that's exciting for you, just the game of it. The yeah, game, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, no, exactly. that's I mean, a great looks- start to the year. Sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say you look at Conan. I mean, you have Ann Haug who can run unbelievably, but like everyone else, well, Rinny, obviously. Rinny and Annie, I think, are the, the benchmarks. Um, but on any given day in Kona, any given year, like the next seven to eight women are all within this like range. And so if you can break through that range of whatever it is, three hours to three Oh six, that's to, that's deciding those, those other places. I mean, if you can take that away, then it's a whole different race. It really is. You get yourself down into that two fifty five or lower mm-hmm. all of a sudden. Yeah. Now, now the win is on the table. It really is. It's it's a part of it. It's like for the men. If you can run that low two forty, if you can be running that two two forty to two forty three, the win is on the table. It's really got to be there. Now, yeah. obviously, you can't have weakness in the swim and bike either. And it's this whole math, isn't it? Where do I right. put my energy? <laughs> but, uh, but I think that efficiency of movement, you know, it, it'll it'll come and 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 you'll be able to you'll be able to get there. So it's exciting. I'm excited for you. So basically the big goal, you know, still Kona Ironman world champs. Come on world. Let's, let's get back going. I want to have yes, these races. Exactly, <laughs> I'm I excited. Know. I'm excited for you. I think, you know, you'll get some races, especially in the Southern USA states. They seem to be, you yeah. know, being prepared. To, you know, I think Florida's even got one coming up here in challenge Miami, I think March yeah. 12th. Yeah. Um, Miami. Yeah. That's, I think, we're back and forth on that one, just getting a race in and practicing the swim in a race scenario. So I, yeah, I, I should be there. Um, it's weighing out where the block falls with Ryan of the Tulsa prep. So. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's, it's like, just let me race though. Can I just yeah. go? <laughs> well, if, if we might try and get down this, we might see you guys down there. If you do make it, I think that the plan is I, I might do some work for them if, um, I'm still waiting to find out, but yeah, we, we should be able to see you guys down there. But uh, Heather, this has been absolutely brilliant to have you on. It really has been just such a wonderful chat. And I'm sorry for listeners if we went everywhere and everywhere, but I just so enjoyed some of those stories and and, and you sharing so much, especially with your running training and everything. I'm so excited for you. So, um, you know, thanks for coming on. And no, where, 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 
where do people follow you and um, where's the best place that you're posting and things? I'd say probably mostly Instagram um, right now, which is H Jackson racing. Um, and then my sister helps me out with my Facebook. So she would get that. Um, and then YouTube has been our new really working on that. Yeah. What literally just have that open permanently of like people that comment there. So I would see anything there on, on yeah, the YouTube channel, Heather Jackson racing. So, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. By the way, I had a lot of fun watching those. You guys, uh, I love you. <laughs> I love your band too, by the way. That's Oh yeah, out. totally. We, we skipped right over van life. That's a new addition as of like November. So we still have that video coming like the full van tour, but Wadi literally does those videos, which he's getting so good at on top of running the business, on top of training with me. On top, so he's just, he's got so many things going on. Um, but yeah, I'm so it's impressed. It's amazing by being, a, being a professional athlete these days, you need a production company behind you. Exactly. It's so different. I just, I, in my career, I won a race, I got a magazine cover and away we went. Now... <laughs> I mean, it, it was the same with Paula Finley. She talked about, you know, Eric Lagerstrom doing all the YouTube channels and the, the van life stuff. And I mean, there's a, there's, this is a production business in itself. Yeah, um, exactly. It's extraordinary the amount, of work, the amount of work you got to do now to promote yourself. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's crazy, like how it's shifted. I mean, I get it as coming from the seeing Wadi's side too, like the business side, like him owning this brand and like, okay, what are, you're paying athletes sponsorship and what are the, what's the partnership look like? Like, what are you getting out of that, those sponsor dollars? So mm. it makes you really open your eyes of like, okay, I'm getting this amount of money from a sponsor. Like, what are we providing them? Like it has to be a two way street. So it's this, yeah, but it has elevated, I would say in the last five years of like, okay, content creation is everything. And, and these companies want, content because that's what's grabbing at people's heartstrings that ultimately causes someone to buy something or not so it's just yeah but it's a non-stop for sure non-stop oh, uh, non-stop <laughs> and it's been double the work this year without having the races you know so you guys yeah. are keeping yourselves out there without the race once the racing starts back up again at least you'll be able to pull back and just go okay you know is- i won kona and i, I won <laughs> so I, 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 you know, and, and that's my story you know that's my story i don't have to do any more work now so. exactly <laughs> anyway i've taken so much of your time and i really appreciate it because i know you can be recovering and doing other things but this has been absolutely delightful and i, I truly truly appreciate you coming on the show and, and chatting no, thank you so much this was awesome i really enjoyed it yeah well thanks everyone for listening um you can Find all the show notes and timestamps and links and everything and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks again, Heather. Stay on the line for a moment. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.